on today's episode of the end of the beginning for electric vehicles. Today's episode is brought to you by engineering.com, a globally trusted source for engineering content. Check out this and many other exclusive videos for the engineering professional found only on engineering.com TV today. Most people who are not engineers are surprised by how much of the cars that they buy are not actually made by the automakers themselves. Now, I worked for a couple of tier one suppliers for the big three, and collectively we built perhaps half the value of assembly line cars and light trucks, with a couple of important exceptions, drivetrains and bodies. Now, it almost goes without saying that a unique body is a key selling feature for any automaker, and historically the same has been true for engines and transmissions. If you wanted a Hemi or a Wedge, you went to Chrysler. If you're a transmission aficionado, there were people that swore by GM's turbo hydromatic, and there are many examples. For smaller automakers, especially in the 1950s, companies like Studebaker, Nash, Hudson, Kaiser, Packard, and others relied on outsourced content for significant parts of the vehicle, and frequently on parts supplied by their own competitors. As late as the 1970s, few buyers of an American Motors Hornet or Gremlin knew that the automatic transmission under them was built by Chrysler, or that the ignition system came from a General Motors subsidiary, and few buyers cared. But engines were a different thing. They were proprietary, and each manufacturer boasted about the superiority of their design. Engines mattered. Now, in today's EV industry, however, few buyers purchase a car based on the superiority of the electric motor technology. Why? Electric motors, well, they're intrinsically more efficient than internal combustion engines, and there's little benefit to one maker's electric motor over another. And it's the same with batteries. With lithium-ion technology standard now, vehicle ranges are also fairly consistent across brands. And critically, the Tier 1 community I spoke about now sells entire electric vehicle drive lines as well as battery packs. Almost anyone can start an EV company now by shopping the expensive-to-develop chassis components and installing them in their own bodies. This means more players, just as there were in the internal combustion engine world of the 1950s. Now, this lasts until someone makes a technological breakthrough, a significant change in the form or value proposition of the automobile as a whole, or finds significant cost reductions. In the 50s, the importance of economies of scale meant the death of those smaller brands that I mentioned, and even Chrysler spent several decades effectively on life support. And we all know about the GM bailout. As industries mature, the number of players tend to diminish, something which has not yet happened in the electric vehicle industry. Everyone is piling in from Rivian to VinFast, and I seriously doubt that the global automotive market will support this number of players. So who will survive? Well, the major automakers like Toyota will, as will Tesla, although for the latter, I suspect that much of the brand equity of that product resides with the profile of the corporate CEO. I predict that five years from now, there will be fewer EV manufacturers than there are now. And 10 years out, fewer still. And that's fine. Few mourn the passing of Studebaker or America Motors. And the cars get a little bit better every year regardless. Well, that's it for today's audio version of End of the Line, brought to you by Engineering.com. If you like this podcast, subscribe to Engineering.com to get personalized story recommendations, follow topics you care about, and participate with the global engineering community. You can also watch this podcast as a video along with our other exclusive series only on Engineering.com TV. Thanks for tuning in.